Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Useful Idiots Call-In. We are so excited. This is our weekly uh, call-in with, uh, where we do it with Useful Idiots. And Useful Idiots Call-In. We take your questions. We talk about things that we bring up on Useful Idiots. We talk about things that we bring up during our, um, during our uh, Monday morning show. So it's always a great time. And don't forget to, if you're just make sure that you subscribe on YouTube, follow me and follow Aaron on Colin and follow this show on Colin. Also, please subscribe on YouTube to um, Useful Idiots. That's just uh, youtube.com slash Useful Idiots. Also, please subscribe uh, to our uh, Substack. That's usefulidiots.substack.com. Also, please, uh, whenever you're like watching our streams on YouTube, just like the stream share the stream. But yeah, we want to get our subs up. And all of this is to fight a war with uh, against people like the Lincoln Project. We got to beat them. We got to beat them on the algorithm. We got to beat um, Pod Save America. So we're very excited and you're helping us do this. Uh, it's it's really wonderful. So um, very excited to be here. And uh, oh, make sure that you watch our episodes from last week. Uh, we had the great uh, Rania Kalik. We love Rania Kalik. She was great on the show. Uh, the Substack is great. We talk a lot about Syria. We talk a lot about the Middle East, and she is a great resource for that. Um, we also uh, had a great interview with uh, Margaret Kimberly the week before that, and we had a great thing where Aaron talked about um, going on Tucker Carlson, why he goes on Tucker Carlson, also his experience as a child actor. He was in a commercial for some kind of uh, violent uh, toy, which was pretty funny, but he played a little general, and it's really adorable, actually. It's pretty hilarious. Aaron, you're here? I'm here. Hi. Awesome. Hi. Shall we take the first, uh, shall we take some of the questions? We got some, we got Zach calling in. Let's do it. Let's do it. Zach. Zach, welcome to uh, Useful Idiots Colin. What's your question? Unmute yourself, please, by hitting the, um, Hi. Yeah, Hi. Hi, uh, big fan of both Thanks. of you. Um, <clears throat> I guess my question is to either of you. Um, I feel like I encounter in my environment a lot of like people who, you know, ascribe to leftist values or use labels like um, which suggest that they are on the left. And then I see them posting stuff and talking about stuff where they're like, you know, oh, yeah, we got to oppose the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, with that, as well as like, um, this is slightly unrelated, but I, I would also just ask if either of you could point me to some further resources on um, what's going on in Xinjiang um, and what's going on with China and Uyghur Muslims and all of that. I mean, I've watched a lot of the gray zone content, but yeah, I guess my, my two short questions are just how do you combat like people who are falling for, you know, us imperial lies about Russia and also what are some further resources I could look into regarding China and um, Uyghur Muslims and Xinjiang? Well, on the Xinjiang issue, there's been great work done, as you mentioned, at the gray zone. Um, it's like 
The problem is when you see, when you have an allegation like genocide, right? It's such a uh, powerful charge that it intimidates people from, I think, thinking seriously about it. Now, if there's any issue that requires serious thinking, it's an issue like genocide, which is a very serious thing, right? And it shouldn't just be thrown around flippantly. In the case of China, though, because China is an official enemy, it has. And anyone who's looked at the actual evidence, like my colleagues at the Gray Zone have, just shows that the evidence is not there. And in fact, the claims of genocide are based basically on a single source, a guy named Adrian Zenz, who's a far-right bigot who said that he feels led on a mission by God to take down China and is tied to U.S. government-funded groups like the National Endowment for Democracy. So there's a lot of it done at the gray zone. They're also, you know, for people who are turned off by the gray zone because of uh, all the you know, names that it's called constantly, you can refer them to, there's an article by Jeffrey Sachs, the, um, the professor at Columbia, who, who, you know, very mainstream credentials, um, I think the he used economist. to work the, the economist. Yeah, I think he used to work for the World Bank or the IMF or something. Anyway, very mainstream, and he wrote an article. He wrote an article, um, and I will tweet it out after this call. Um, uh, basically, yeah, yeah, basically, basically uh, arguing why the claims of genocide are a farce. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't repression in Xinjiang. Uh, that there haven't there hasn't been a crackdown on Muslims there. Uh, but these claims of a genocide are just, it, it's a complete scam. And it, and you look at all the sources, and they all trace back to this one guy, Adrian Zint. And you have to, you know, so encourage people to use their critical thinking skills and think beyond what they're told by Mike Pompeo and everybody who parrots him in the U.S. media. Thank you, yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed the episode today. And, um, yeah, I'm going to keep... I mean, I'm certainly going to encourage more people to tune into uh, Useful Idiots, you know, because um, I really like, I mean, I've, I'm a longtime listener, but uh, I just recently got back to listening to it every Monday. So really like what you guys are doing. And thanks awesome. for taking my call. Thank you, Zach. Thanks, I really Zach. appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Zabi, unmute yourself, please, by hitting. Yeah, you got it. I understand. Thank you, thank you. Uh, big fan, of course, like everybody else. I'm after today's show. I was just wondering what like the U.S.'s end game is. Like, do you have any clue? Because like the warmongering, it's like constant. And yeah, the end game I think yeah. is kill the Minsk Accords. So basically, kill the most serious prospect there is for having peace in Donbass, which, from a DC neocon point of view would come at the price of basically taking NATO off the table and ensuring that Ukraine stays neutral. And the gambit that the U.S. has been trying, has been pursuing in Ukraine since 2014 is refusing to accept that Ukraine is a divided country. Yes, there are people who strongly identify with the West and with the EU and who loathe Russia, but the problem for them is that there are, is a huge part of the country that identifies with Russia, that speaks Russian, that has deep historical, religious, family ties to Russia. I mean, after all, they were, you know, both part of the Soviet Union um, and they're right there. They share a border. So, of course, there's going to be extensive ties. And basically, the, the U.S. strategy since 2014 has been to ignore those people and only try to prop up those who want to be solely in the Western orbit. And the answer, you know, from the, as an outsider has always been just to keep U Ukraine neutral so that it's in nobody's orbit, and that 
ensures lasting peace. But that's what the U.S., I think, or at least a faction of the U.S. is trying to prevent. And they have allies in Ukraine who share that goal, who are basically far right, the same people who were the muscle behind the coup in 2014. The other end game is to uh, trigger some military confrontation that could justify canceling the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline for the reasons I talked about on the show, is that that would further integrate Russia into the rest of Europe if the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline goes online. And, you know, warmongers in Washington don't want that. Right. And then, of course, there's the weapon sales, right? Well, yes, exactly. And the longer you gin up conflict, the more you ensure that U.S. weapons will be sent to Ukraine, which is very lucrative for yeah. Right. The weapons industry. And we just saw, again, we talked about Biden just asked for a new record Pentagon budget. And of course, everybody in Congress, with the exception of a few people, will get behind that and they'll cite the need to stand up to Putin. Also, great distraction from domestic issues and the failures here. Mm-hmm. You know, really, Washington is just playing. It's going, Aaron, this is the playbook we've been describing. That's right. And That's they're right. playing along with it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Fair enough. But they will look ridiculous, right, if this goes on for a couple more weeks. Although I felt the same way with Russia Gate, so I don't know, maybe they can that's, make it last. That's the scary thing. I feel like that's constantly where I'm at. It's like, okay, this is ridiculous. Now this is too much. Now people are going to realize how ridiculous this is. Okay, now even people who take MSNBC at its word are going to realize that they've been saying this for so long. But I don't know. the me- when, when the media is such an echo chamber and you're not listening Things like useful, not, I mean, whatever, not just useful idiots, but any alternative critique of the media, what, what is going to convince you? I guess, I guess to be fair, there's some critical thinking, right? When you, one would, would hope that if you constantly hear the media saying that there's going to be a war that's imminent, that's probable, and it doesn't happen, maybe one's brain could understand that they're not a uh, reliable, credible source. But sadly, I don't think that happens because it's such a there's such a, a unanimous chorus um, that it, it is hard for people to just think critically. And you have to really be aware if you don't realize how much the media is gaslighting you. That's a kind of big thing to grapple with. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, who's next? We got Four Revolution. It cuts you off. Is it uh, Four Revolution Chris? Is that? uh... Four Revolution Chris, that's right. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I should put Chris for Revolution. Exactly. And it's supposed to be time for Revolution. Nobody gets that little emoji there. Oh, I see. It's a little clock. Yeah. Chris, you you should do radio. You also sound a lot like a friend of mine. I hope that's a good thing. Yes. <laughs> hey, I didn't get a notification on uh, on uh, Monday mornings today. YouTube's huh. trying to suppress you, but Colin gave me a notification. So. Oh wow! Well, you should to... just. I'm sorry about that, but not surprised. Sorry, but not surprised. And I'm not just, surprised either. Just, it's just... no. Uh, every we do do it every Monday. And I've always been there. I don't think I've ever missed one. And uh, I just, the holiday weekend, I'm up in the mountains and I missed it. Anyway, I apologize. I will catch up on it. But so I find it really interesting on this push for the war. And there's just no dissenting voices in any mainstream media 
it reminds me a lot of Iraq and uh-huh. everything that, I mean, all the war endeavors that have occurred in the last 20, 30 years. Do you think there will ever be any dissenting voices that are given any any chance? I know, Aaron, you got on to Tucker a week and a half ago and, you know, Jimmy goes on and, and Glenn goes on there and those are kind of, it's like, and, and there's a lot of problems with Tucker, right? But it's just crazy to me that there's no place where any dissent can can be put out there on in the mainstream media. And I'm just curious what you guys make of that, and how do we how do we battle back against this? I mean, it seems hopeless to me, and I want to have hope, and I want to think that there's something you know, we can do about it, but I just don't see it. So what's, what do you guys Well, the media, they may, like the corporate media is hopeless, but I think that's kind of a positive because it shows that they, they're just making themselves more irrelevant. And that's, that's reflected in their declining numbers. Like the numbers for CNN and MSNBC have gone down. And I think if they really cared about ratings, they'd do something about it, but they don't really even care about ratings. They, above all, what matters to them is narrative and towing the party line. And the party line right now is just you cannot have on dissenting voices, and they're following suit. I mean, you look at all these Sunday news shows that we watch. There's not a single dissenting voice, as you say. On MSNBC, like every day, they have – like every hour, there's ample opportunities to bring on at least one person who's a dissenter, and they're just not there. They're just these like massive panels of all – of like four or five people, all with the exact same opinion. And um, so there's no hope of changing anything there. I mean, look, even when NBC News got caught last week promoting the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion and got (laughs) called out for it, they just moved on. They wouldn't even acknowledge it because they're just so committed to the uh, the state line. So there, there is no hope there, but it's just like the hope lies in more people just seeing for themselves just how... Um, monotonous and homogenous the the voices are our corporate media and continuing to abandon them them and seeking out alternative I guess voices. I guess you know like I think it's important that maybe you know Katie you did the the event last week about with Marianne and and Brie and and whatnot and like do you even think that those type of candidates or like the squad are watching alternative media or are they just tuning into the mainstream? And like to just one thing on, on what Aaron said, like there is no hope there with, with the mainstream media. And like, it's just that like, they're still making all the money they used to make. They're not losing out on money because everybody pays their cable bill and they get money off of that. And, and their, you know, their ad revenue isn't diminished at all. So I, I just don't know how to neuter, what's the best way to like try and neuter the mainstream media and, and fight back against them when the biggest thing that props them up is their funding. And, and right. I don't see how we, we beat their funding. Like I don't subscribe to cable. I use my, my mom's cable subscription to get anything that I want off of that. But like, I just don't see how we, like I subscribe to you guys. I subscribe to the useful idiots, breaking points, uh, Jimmy Dore, you know, Taibi, uh, and I'm trying to do the best. Hello, you're, uh, you're breaking up. 
is he breaking up for you, Aaron? Or yeah, he cut uh, out a little bit. And look, what's the? How do we win? How do we beat these guys? Oh, wrong. And their viewership's going down, but they're still getting all the ad revenue, and they still have all the power due to that. I That's think that a, yeah. the way that we beat them is honestly just by supporting other outlets um, and sharing media and sharing clips and trying to win the hearts and minds as corny as it sounds, but trying to win the hearts and minds of, of people. Um, and, you know, like sending your mom a clip, maybe if she's open to stuff like that. I do think I, I'm very, I'm kind of mixed. I'm torn because I feel both very lost and hopeless, but I also feel like this is so important. And the more anti-war messaging we get to people, like the more resistance there is to war, the better. Even though, of course, as we saw, there was resistance to the Iraq war and that didn't stop it. But every, you know, right. with, with stuff like this, I just feel like the U.S. has such a disproportionate role in the world. Like for, I was going to say for better, for worse, but no, for worse. Just so, <laughs> yeah. So anything that we can do to kind of have any effect in mitigating that uh, is, is good. In terms of the question about the candidates, I definitely think that, I mean, someone like Re- Rebecca Parson, for instance, she definitely, we know she listens to this media. She, she'll listen to, you know, she'll like be chiming in on Collins on my show or Bree's show. And I, of course, have her on quite a bit. But she's an example, I think, of someone who is a total totally trying to beat the system from within. And as people know, she's run as a, uh, she tried to run uh, not as a Democrat, even running as a Democrat, she faces a lot of obstacles. I think that she and Jason um, also, um, I think that uh, uh, Imani uh, is someone else who, uh, Imani Oakley, who we can really kind of count on to be uh, an outsider. Christine um, Oliveira also, I think there's there are a lot of you know, and that's why they were picked. Um, and I, you, I can I ask you a question on that real quick? Like, sure. like I think I think the squad, like AOC, used to go on alternative media, and I haven't seen her on. And I call it alternative media, not to marginalize it, but I just alternative to the mainstream. And I yeah, like I obviously tune mostly into you know, the, the outlets that I think are important and not the mainstream, but like AOC, the squad, they're not even, they're not even on the young Turks. Right. They're not on, they're not on Jimmy's show. They're not on you guys. I am sure you guys have as useful idiots tried to, to get these people on your shows and they just won't come out. Like, and you know, I think AOC and, and the rest of the squad did on the front end, watch alternative media and subscribe to alternative media. And now it just looks like they, they only listen to the mainstream. And I mean, that's evidenced by how they behave in Congress. How do we keep them on the narrative and on our side and not let them get sucked in? And that's, I guess my concern with the people you guys supported last week is like, that's great now, but what happens when they go to the Capitol it, you know, next January, if they win in November, and how do we keep this narrative and, and get it pushed more and more yeah, into yeah, yeah. the mainstream? Yeah. You get my point. And I, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, the fault line was Russia Gate. Russia was blamed for Donald Trump's election, and if you wanted to be considered to be anti-Trump, you had to go along with Russia Gate, and that's why nobody, including the squad, challenged it, and. 
you know, Bernie too, even though Russiagate was being used to prop up yep. and preserve the power of the people who conspired to destroy Bernie, the Clinton wing of the party, Bernie went along with it too. And yep. that has had serious consequences. It means that media that actually does its job and calls out scams like Russiagate, even for progressive squad members, is now off limits. They don't talk to us, I think, because Russiagate is the reason, because they don't want to be have to account for going along with a neoliberal scam and a very dangerous one that has led to, led to this current moment right now with Ukraine. And so it's put them in this box where they're opposed to militarism, they're opposed to sending weapons, spending money on weapons, but when it counted, they got behind these things. They got behind the impeachment of Trump, which so much of it was, was uh, vested on this premise that Trump betrayed the nation by pausing weapon sales to Ukraine. That wasn't the only issue, but that was a major part of it. And none of them spoke out against it. And now, as the U.S. is flooding Ukraine with more weapons and continuing the same uh, policy that was behind the Ukraine gate thing, which is basically fueling a proxy war in Ukraine, they're boxed in. They can't say anything because they will have to account for the tr contradiction between their professed worldview of being for peace and against you know, uh, militarism and supporting a neoliberal scam that was all about uh, enforcing U.S. hegemony and ratcheting up tensions with Russia. So they're, they're in a box and it sucks. And so the answer is, you know, elect more candidates who hopefully are outside of those constraints um, and and try to push them to change. I mean, like, what else can we do? But it's just we're seeing yeah. right now we're seeing right now the consequence of of scams like Russiagate. At the time, people thought it was a way to get Trump. As we all know, even on that narrow <laughs> issue, it wasn't. It actually empowered him. He ended he ended the Ukraine gate impeachment with the highest ratings of his of his presidency. So um, hopefully, 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 progressives, both on moral grounds and on tactical grounds too, will will draw some lessons from that. I I just also do want to say, Rokan has come on my show, the Katie Halper show, and he's come on Useful Idiots. Um, uh, Ro is the one who actually will talk to people, even. Even people that are really critical of him, he's yeah. still like I really respect Rokan in that way, and, and I don't respect all his decisions and all his policy positions. But on that front, Ro definitely is a step ahead of of uh, everyone else. Rashida Talib came on Useful Idiots. Um, Corey Bush. That was came. a while ago, though, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, it was a while ago, but not. I mean, it was. I don't remember how. It was a while ago, but um, it was not pre Russia Gate, um, and also. Um, uh, Cory Bush came on Katie Help, the Katie Helper show. Um, I think these are a little bit complicated because not well, not complicated. I think that uh, I, I, I much of what Aaron said. I also think that, and this is going to get me in trouble for saying this, but like there is a balance, a delicate dance, right? You can, I mean, Aaron, I think is very good at asking respectfully challenging questions. That's something that I'm not that great at. If I'm, I mean, I'll just say that off the bat. I'm not great at that when I, when I generally, when I like the person or I, it's, it's for me, it's a little awkward. Not, I think it's a good thing to do. I think it's like one of the best things that, that journalism should do. I'm not great at that because I feel like, oh, I'm inviting this person onto my show. I don't want it to be awkward. I want them to come back. It's not access journalism as in like, I care for like my power, but I, I do want to be able to reach people and maybe engage with them. And so I think different people have different roles in terms of how they interact with candidates, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I, I also hey. I do also think that some people like there are people whose role it is to really kind of like shit on candidates. And that's fine. But 
I'm not then surprised. Like, why? Just like, let's be realistic. I'm not defending it. But like, why the hell would someone go on that show? Like, they don't want to sit there. And I think I think, yeah, we got to convince them that they need to answer to the critics. And well, that's that's just not human behavior, you know? Right. It's not. And we have to be realistic about how power works. And we also have to look at how we need to build more power so that they can't afford to not go on the uncertain shows. Yeah. And someone, it's funny, someone last night on my call in, um, Rudy was like, I think we like brainstormed, like I should demand, like if I, next time I have Rebecca on, I'll be like, make sure you're going to come on when you're elected, right? You're going to make a promise that you'll do that. So maybe that's the, the way to do it. And I'll say this too. I, you know, I don't spend very much time criticizing the squad because I, I don't think they have that much power. I wish they were different. I wish that they would speak out on issues that they haven't spoken out about or that they're I think that they're bad on but ultimately they're not the the power center in Congress and um, I focus more on the Democrats who really have power and who are basically pushing what I think is a very dangerous agenda and that's you know Adam Schiff the, the right. Nancy, Nancy Pelosi <laughs> those people um, yeah but hey, yeah yeah and I also thanks think- for you guys' time today I, I really appreciate you guys and Again, Katie, sorry that I had missed that you'd cover the Donziger thing last oh, no, week, and okay. I right. did go back and and watch that. And oh, thank you for covering that. That's, yeah. uh, I think, a very important issue. Um, so, I, I see cases in the line back there a little ways. So I'm going to drop down and let you guys start covering other callers, and hopefully, Case has enough time to to get up here and ask his questions because I'm yeah. always keen to hear what he has to say. Yeah, in case of great work for clipping. And just one last thing I'll say, I do think, and again, this is going to get me in trouble with some people, but we, I think we also have to give credit when the squad does do the right thing. Um, I think that there are times when they do vote the when right way. That? I mean, the, the Iron Dome, some of them. Wait, we're, we're <laughs> yeah. But they did, they did, that's the whole point. They didn't, you, they didn't team, they, they, that, that, that's a great yeah. example. I think of them not doing the right thing because they ensured it would pass. They could have united as a squad exactly. and stopped it, but they didn't. They didn't. They so had the numbers for that? Exactly. They did, I, they did have the numbers for that, and that's why people were so upset with them. That, that, that's why AOC is still being criticized for voting. Oh, right, uh, yeah. They did you know, do that. She got yeah. that pushback yeah. the other week, and she's like, what did she say in response to that guy that was yelling? And the crowd, I think just to – I'm sorry. I said I was going to drop down, but you brought that up. And there's the yeah. – there's that guy asking those questions of her in that in that rally, and the crowd's all booing him, and he's asking the right questions. It's like it just really feeds into my cynicism about whether we have any chance of getting people on our side. Like that dude's asking the right questions of AOC, and the crowd's shouting him down and booing him. Like, well, it's tough. It's tough, but it starts with being respectful, no matter how you're being treated, no matter what kind of response you get. You got to keep your cool, be respectful, and and just focus on the message and not try to make it personal. Not try to make this about AOC and her personality and what she says. Just try to make it about the issues, because when you start getting into the, the other stuff, um, and I'm not saying that this, that this guy did that, but it's just you got to just keep it focused on the issues, and you know that's all you're responsible for. You ultimately can't control how people will react. But you can't I, control yeah. how you approach people. I still do think that there's a time. I mean, just just voting that way, whether or not it was going to block it. Uh, I, I mean, I think that we it's the same people who I, I still think that's an impressive thing to do. Maybe I'm, my standards are too low, but there's certainly a time when no one would do that. And Cory Bush certainly takes hits for that. 
Well, um, yeah, I don't agree, but because uh, I think if, <laughs> if they really, if they really, if they really, you know, if they really have principle, then they would have blocked it, and they they could have, you know, and that gets it, that gets it, and that's the whole point. Like Israel, Israel was once controversial on the left. There were once some people who, you know, like t- were diehard Israel supporters. You can't find those people anymore. That's just like, you know, uh, the left has has civilized itself enough to the point where it's just you can't even uh, if you're like if you're if you're not uh, a defender of Palestinian rights, then, then you just don't belong on the left. So it's not controversial anymore. So it shouldn't be hard for a progressive. It shouldn't be hard for a progressive to stand up in Congress and say, why are we sending more money? for military equipment to this apartheid regime. That's just not complicated. And, it shouldn't be. You know, and, and, and AOC had all this language about it was tearing her yeah. community apart. It was just ridiculous. It was a joke. And it makes the left look weak. Yeah. And so if you can't stand up on that, it's 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 a bad sign. But let's let's move on to the next caller. Thank you. Have, you, have, you thank you, Chris. You have thank a you. good day. I appreciate it. All right, it. Mateo, I'm bringing you in. You are next. Okay. Hey, guys. So, uh, of course, the only GOP here to vote uh, against Iron Dome was Massey, as I'm sure you remember. Um, it was uh, only nine votes, and actually of the eight Dems, um, half of them weren't like uh, squad types. Half of them were kind of normie-ish. Huh. And I think that's that's kind of what that's kind of what people have to build on in terms of realizing, A, the GOP is always going to be 100% hard right Zionist with no questions asked, but there is like a little crack of light in the kind of normie Dems. Anyways, I want to I bring things around. Uh, to the present moment in Canada a little bit and also how that ties in with what we're seeing in Ukraine. I noticed in the coverage of uh, Ottawa events, Dwayne Lich, who's the husband of Tamara uh, Lich, uh, they were kind of flown out back and forth by some oligarch to Ottawa in terms of the uh, the astroturfed, uh, you know, uh, redneck rampage trucker uh, anti-vax police riot. Uh, but anyways, when they were doing the background of uh, showing Dwayne's living room, he had the big Confederate battle flag going on there, the stars and bars, uh, complete with like a little cheesy image in the middle that says the South will rise again. And, you know, for those that don't know the whole Canadian background of the uh, the police riots in uh, Coots and uh, and Ottawa might miss out that this whole thing was built on a uh, separatist movement. So swinging around to uh, swinging around to Ukraine. The thing that really got me researching Ukraine uh, and caught my eye four years ago, five years ago, uh, is something worthy of like really intellectually focusing on because it was so weird, was the fact that kind of the celebrity commandos in Ukraine, in uh, Donetsk, uh, Luhansk, were using the stars and bars. They were using the old Confederate battle flag and modifying it uh, to their own ends. And I thought that was really bizarre. And then as you investigate these characters, guys like, uh, I don't know if I pronounced the G and Givi very well, Givi, Motorola. Uh, there was a whole crew of kind of uh, glamorous guerrilla warriors and Givi's kind of uh, half, uh, half Georgian himself and kind of has kind of a romantic look. But then, you know, as you go through the history of what's happened to the people in Donetsk and, you know, nobody really wants to talk about this. Liberals don't want to talk about it. And of course, um, you know, the horseshoe fake left doesn't want to talk about it either. But, as, as the history goes through, it's just really sad and that you kind of have the romantic swashbuckling heroes. You have a guy named Zakharchenko, Alexander Zakharchenko, that kind of tried to play this neo-communist kind of independent leader and kind of failed and was ridiculous. And okay, I Mateo, you're that. getting a little rabbit hole here. because it's Okay, okay. And, not, not really and, rabbit. This so, is background you yeah. should be sharing with your audience, Aaron. Anyhow, what I want to ask you, Aaron, is as we see, as we see Pushlin 
doing a cynical thing, blowing up a fake car and telling women and children they have to evacuate as part of this brinksmanship and, you know, making a really bad, rough life for people in Donetsk that much worse for the next couple of weeks, using them like the pawns they are in the theater set that Putin does. At what point do do we feel sympathetic with those people, with the people that only want to elect their own leaders that have, you know, that have been in a basement in Minsk? What do we say to the Kazakhs that are part of a 70 percent ethnic majority, Muslim majority uh, that's being shut out of political power as Putin uh, cracks down on Almaty? What do we say to those people in terms of what what an, a Western liberal that believes in values, that believes in self-determination, what do we say to them in terms of what they should look for for leadership after Putin? What do you want to see after Putin, Aaron? Well, it's not my business what kind of Russian leader comes That's after That's not what Putin. I'm asking. What do you no, 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 want no. to see? What do you want to see? Uh, and I'm answering you. I'm saying it's not my business what kind of leader. What I want to see is Russia being left to elect its own leaders and everywhere, including those that are being oppressed but by Belarus Russia. But Belarus is not oh. Russia. Kazakhstan is not Russia. Yes. And, is not I, Russia. And, I want to see, and I want to see all these places being left alone by all outside men. You, you want to see Belarus left alone by Russia? You want to see the Russians go home? Do okay. I would like Belarus to make that decision for itself. What I know. Yeah, I, I don't believe you. Uh, hold on a second. You're lying. Okay. Wait. Well, uh, thank uh, you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your. Thanks for sharing your your opinion on whether I'm lying or not. You're asking me a question, and I'm trying to answer it. Um, all these places should be left to make their own decisions, and it's their business. My concern is what the government that I pay taxes to, which happens to be the most powerful government in the world, is doing. Canada, and, you're Canadian, Aaron. Yeah, well, I live in the U.S. and I pay taxes to. Oh, wait, wait, US. wait! Are you Canadian or American citizen, Aaron? I'm I'm Canadian, but I pay. Okay, so I, the, the greatest country in the world is what? The uh, the French beating up the Ottawa people. Uh, if you all right, know. all right, okay. You, you know, okay, okay. Listen, I now you're deflecting into other things that I that I don't really have have the patience for. To answer your question, your original question, as I understand it, um, what Russians do after Putin or now is their business. My point is that they should not be. Uh, interfered with and they should be left alone and you if you look everywhere all these places you mentioned including belarus there are u.s efforts to change the course there uh this was recently revealed there was a a call where the former head of the national endowment for democracy admitted that his group is funding all sorts of opposition groups inside belarus and what do you think their aim is is it to uh, improve democracy no it's to destabilize a russian ally so the answer Do you think everybody. Russians, when they look at Finland and they look at like the woman that was just elected prime minister and their relatively open, modern, secular society, do you think they're jealous or do you think they're happy being uh, hosting uh, Putin's I, uh, soldiers, uh, soldiers, well, you know, spreading their coronavirus all over their country right now? Uh, wait, who? Uh, uh, Russians, did you say? Like, like, I'm talking about, about, do you think from the Belarus perspective, would they rather be more like Finland with someone like that in leadership and a government like that? Or are they happy hosting all of Putin's I'm not going right to pretend to speak for, for yeah, the better reasons. Oh, just sorry. speculate. Put yourself in their shoes. No, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sure citizens of all these countries don't want to be the site of proxy wars. But unfortunately, I think a major cause of all this conflict is the fact that the U.S. has broken its promises after the so- at the end of the Soviet Union and has kept expanding NATO to Russia's borders. If the U.S. stopped doing that, I think you'd see a lot more space for democratic forces in all these countries, including Russia, to open up. But when your country is fighting a external, powerful force, people tend to actually unite behind the leader. And that certainly happened in Russia. Look at Russia, where Putin uh, presides over an autocratic government, but yet he does have genuine popular support. That's just true. No Will one denies ever that. not have a dictatorial government? I, if you read Stephen, Stephen F. Cohen, who is the leading 
American scholar on Russia. He certainly thinks it's popular. It, it, it's possible. It's possible. But what he says is a main impediment is constant U.S. interference led by Cold Warriors in Washington. So if you care about Russia's democratization, you should oppose U.S. meddling in Russia and the encroachment of NATO on Russia's borders. Okay, it's so only... what you're saying is that the U.S. Okay. empire, the U.S. hegemon, justifies all those people being tortured in Minsk and Almaty right now okay, and being that's... tortured in some basement in Donetsk. No, to you, your, to your, you, no, to no, your no, personal no, ethic. No, that's your concoction. I never said that, of course. Uh, no, no, that's your concoction because you're trying to avoid my argument. And let's leave it there. Uh, thank you, Matteo, for stopping by. I'm going to bring on I'm going to bring on um, case study QB because he's he's someone who we um, we all on the left. We use his uh, clips and I want to get him in the conversation. Shout out to case study QB, who everyone should be following on Twitter. Uh, Case study. Hello. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's nice to chat with you this first time. Um, Thank you, Chris, for your kind words earlier. And um, I I just want to give Katie I want to give you your your flowers. Because back in the force to vote um, conversation was happening, you were one of the few people that got together, people who don't normally come together or chat with each other. I believe like at that point, Brianna and Jimmy Dore never chat with each other. But you were you made a forum, brought them all together and had a very productive conversation. And here you are again, Brianna, and you had a very good conversation yesterday with people who were, um, you know, Compton J and others there more them exit versus them enter. And I thought it was a very productive conversation. And I really truly believe if we can, if we continue in 2022 to have these conversations intentionally, I know you guys are doing it organically, but if we intentionally seek out to have these kinds of conversations, I think that we're going to be prepared in 2023 for 2024 for that great election and hopefully we'll have a, a great progressive champion like a, a certain woman that I'm not going to say her name that we all know might run against Biden and will have a lot of success. That's all I wanted to say mainly. I just want to give you kudos and much love to you, Aaron. Much love to the chat. Thank you. And yeah, I thank you for that. I really do think that that's an important thing to do. There's so much intra-left cancellation. We just don't have the numbers. I think we have to be able to disagree no, what is that? As corny as that sounds, to agree to disagree on certain things. I think there are red lines or hard lines that you shouldn't tolerate, um, but I think it's up for debate what those are. So thank you. Yeah, and I was really happy that we could have the revolutionary blackout news, um, uh, which was had been critical of the event. Uh, some of them had been critical of it, um, of the event that we did last Wednesday with the non corporate candidates. And I do think that that's how the left has to operate. Like there has to be more good faith, giving the benefit of the doubt. And I think having like impassioned debates that are civil is the way to go. So thank you for that case study. 100%. Thank you so much. Have a great. Okay. Let's bring in John Doe. You too. John Doe, unmute yourself. And to do that, you press the microphone bot microphone. Hey there. Hi. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, an American in exile, so to say. I'm in Istanbul right now, but I've been living in Kiev since 2018. And uh, I had to make a decision to get out. And I thought I'd just share a little bit about the experience, which is, you know, very stressful. I mean, everything I had to finance myself, uh, there was absolutely little help, if any, from the embassy besides them saying, you know, they can help us plan an itinerary. 
the reason I'm in Istanbul is I just got over COVID and I was afraid I couldn't even get into the country. Uh, if I pass negative, we're here in Turkey. Uh, they don't ask for that. Hello? Hello? John cut out a little bit. Uh-oh. Maybe Istanbul doesn't have the best Wi-Fi. So... Yeah. John, we'll bring you back when you. We'll get bring it. you back, John, and thanks. But this story sounds really interesting, and we'd like to hear more about it. So Definitely. let's let's bring in the next caller, and we'll bring you back in when you're. Sorry. Are you oh, still there? There we oh, go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, crap. I'm, uh, uh, we lost the, We lost John. John, come back, and we'll let you back in. Yes. All right, David. Welcome, and please. Uh, I'm uh, excited to get to talk to you both. I've been watching for thanks, a while. I, I really love the work you both do i had um two small things i wanted to talk about one is i'm confused why when i watch a lot of shows and opinion talking about insider trading no one ever mentions the fact that congress is actually exempt from those laws which i don't think makes it better i think it makes it a lot worse you know it's just a ingrained systemic corruption but even some news people that I know know this. They they won't mention that fact that that it's actually you know long standing corruption. I mean I know uh, uh, I saw on a show recently that um, even Warren Buffett, you know, his dad was a a, a prominent congressman from uh, Nebraska, starting when he was like thirteen or something. He started trading stocks at eleven for ten years, so he got a pretty good head start on that. Uh, so I wanted to get your opinion on on why that might be that no one actually, you know, addresses the the larger picture. And the second thing is, um, you know, I, it's it seems like it's a it's a an open secret that a lot of the money that's paid by pharma to all of the news agencies um, is basically protection money. It's hush money, and I feel like they're just dumb enough to capitalize on that in a way that's um, noticeable. Uh, and I was wondering if any of you had a, a pointer or a way that I might look into that to see if there's any way to actually look at advertising rates paid by one advertiser versus another, you know? Um, and yeah, I'll just listen. I got nothing. I yeah. got nothing. I, I'm, that's a very specific question. I'm sorry. I don't have an answer for you. I, I don't know. Can you repeat I, the final question that you're asking? He uh, he exited. So oh, all right. Um, yeah, no. Uh, but I, I imagine that kind of data is available. I just I couldn't direct you to where to find it. Yeah. But if you do find out, come back next week on Useful Idiots Colin Show and tell us. Yeah, please do. So and by the way, I'm I am I'm I'm going to have to disagree with you on the Iron Dome vote because they didn't have the numbers. It was like four. The the Capitol Police vote they did, but this one was like four twenty to nine. So on Iron Dome, yeah. Okay, my bad. So then, even all the more reason then to vote against it. Sure, I agree. I can't. I, I can't lose, Katie. I cannot lose, even when I'm wrong. I know. I, I can't. I can't lose. But so because so, the thing is, I think it's even that's even all the more reason to. I, I shouldn't say all the more reason. It's 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 just uh, as much of a. Uh, of a reason to vote against it because, you know, it's not going to make a difference anyway. So why not stand up 
Right. I'm symbolically just, for Palestine, right? They did take heat for that. They do take heat for that. And there is a time when no one would have done that. And yes, the left has moved on that issue, but politicians haven't. Um, and I do think that, honestly, one of the important things that, that pro- electing progressives do- does is that it shows that things that are claimed to be fringe and that aren't fringe, uh, the more visibility they have, the less fringe they become. And then the more... Uh, it, it becomes less politically toxic to do. Look, this is a fraught debate, and it could go for a long time. So let's not get into it. But let right. me just say well, one thing. I just to yeah, the, 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 but let me say, okay, fine. And and I was wrong. You can, I was, argue, I was, you can argue that that makes your argument stronger. I'm not debating. No, no, no I, I was. I, I appreciate the correction because I was totally wrong to say that they could have yeah. stopped the vote. And of course, that makes sense because of course Congress is not going to be split over right. giving money to Israel. So that, right. that, that that was dumb to 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 make that assumption on my part. So thank yeah. you, but. Let me say this. The squad is a, is a double-edged sword because, yes, they do give the appearance of the Democratic Party being more progressive than it used to be. But on key issues, they actually show that the Democratic Party has regressed. Dennis Kucinich was openly anti-war, unapologetically anti-war, um, and was even trying to broker was, – was even trying to stop wars. He got involved in trying to stop the Iraq war, and he got involved in trying to stop the Libya war. There's no Dennis Kucinich type today. And even though Tulsi Gabbard is, I think, her views are, she holds many views that I don't agree with. And she's taking a turn to the right. She's actually speaking at CPAC pretty soon, which I just saw. And she's definitely expressed some some xenophobic views that I don't agree with. But on something like the dirty war in Syria, which is a multi-billion dollar effort to arm sectarian death squads in Syria. She took a really active and noble role in trying to stop that. She tried to pass a measure that would ban arming al-Qaeda, which got defeated because the U.S. was effectively arming al-Qaeda. And I'm sorry, there's no one in the squad who right now um, has the political courage to stand up to policies like that. And in fact, they, they ultimately go along with some of the similar policies like regime change efforts in or destabilization efforts in Venezuela and Nicaragua. So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, they have, like, they, they've, they do symbolize some progress in some areas, but the fact that they're so kind of, um, I would say, weak on critical foreign policy issues also exemplifies the regression that's happened in the Democratic Party, and they help give cover to some of the Democratic Party's worst, worst policies. I, I, I hate to say, that's, that, yeah. that's my view. I mean, there's the possibility of pushing them which doesn't exist for others. And I think having more numbers will make a difference. But I'm not going to pretend they're not disappointing on many things. I hope you're right. I hope yeah. you're right. They can be pushed. Okay. Next, we got Laurel. Hi, Laurel. Uh, unmute yourself by pressing the microphone icon at the bottom of your screen, please. There you go. Hello. I love your show. Thanks. I have to tell you that you've weaned me off the Sunday shows And Katie, your sarcasm gets me through the week. Thank you. Um, But I I would like to ask you to score Zelensky's sarcasm from yesterday's show. Do you think he's dumbing it down enough? Um, So I'm talking about a female news host. It might have been Face the Nation. I can't remember. And she very sternly said Zelensky is calling for the West to impose sanctions now. And that was in response to Zelensky's very obvious sarcasm, kind of getting out of his chair and using his arms and saying, you say the attack is going to happen. So what are you waiting for? Right. Um, Can you give him some pointers? So do you think he was being sarcastic? I 
I think he was genuinely saying we want sanctions, but but he was kind of being sarcastic. He was. We talked about this earlier, right? And it was it was an interesting combination of kind of calling out the U.S. for bluffing, but calling them out in a pro-sanction way, as opposed to when Aaron and I do it, which is the opposite. I mean, he is a former comedian, so I do yeah. think it's quite possible that there was sarcasm there. Yeah. yeah. Sarcasm. Yeah. I mean, Laurel, Laurel, you think it was definitely sarcasm. That was your read on it. Sitting on my couch, you know, with my morning chai, I, I just roared laughing um, <laughs> watching, watching that. So I don't know. Maybe, you know, you're under stress when you're watching these things. I'd say, go, you know, go back and watch it and see if you get a second take and don't think, think it's sarcasm. You think okay. he's being anti? He doesn't want the sanctions? I'm not being absolutely sorry. not. I think he, I think he is calling out the United States BS on on you know a grander level than maybe he did last week. But you know you're the you're the expert on these things. Oh, interesting. Thanks, Thank Laurel. you. Thank you, Laurel. Kind words. Okay, that's a good question. Sarcastic or not, that's a good that's a good thing we should do. Okay, let's bring in Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. And to to unmute yourself, just hit the mic at the bottom right of the screen. Aaron, I get that advice from you. I, I say that because I hear, hear you do it on your columns. That's right. Right? Yes. Sometimes people don't know. Yes. Sometimes yes. people don't know and then it's awkward. So I'm just, just to be safe, telling people I'll do it. So Tyler, you want to hit there. If you're there, Tyler. Are you there, Tyler? It's me, Margaret. If you're there, Tyler, hit the, um, the mic, microphone icon at the bottom right of your screen. And if not, we're going to take the next caller and we'll bring you back into the queue. Um, so we're going to take Steve. Then we'll get back to you, Tyler. Remember, you just got to hit that thing at the bottom right of your of your thing. By the way, Katie at the barn door is apparently expression, Aaron. Did you know that? I did not know that. So, yeah, so that's, what, that's what Chuck Todd was saying, Katie yeah. at the barn door. But okay. I'm glad we didn't know that because it really let us explore the different ways that I can help participate in the war. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Steve, unblock, unmute yourself. Hit hit the uh, microphone icon at the bottom right of your screen. Hit the. There's a little microphone. You just tap it. All right, we're gonna. There's kind of like a game show where people only have five seconds to unmute themselves. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, Steve. Bye, Steve. We'll bring you back in. Oh, you, you hit all oh, the bonus round. He made it in the bonus all right. round. All right. Oh, I made it into the bonus round. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm calling from uh, Leon, Nicaragua, where I've been oh. for almost almost three months. Um, my question is about uh, uh, political disaster. Um, do you think UK, Ukraine, what's going on there, um, could result in the dissolution of NATO? No, I don't. I don't. NATO is... Uh... Look, it's a racket. It's a great racket for those involved. All these retired military officials get to live in Brussels, have fancy titles, big accounts, big budgets, drivers. It's a, it, it's a hustle, and there's too many people benefiting from it, and the weapons industry, industry benefits from it. I mean, that's why you go back and read the New York Times in the late 90s when the Senate was debating whether to approve NATO expansion. And the Senate was subjected to the most expensive lobbying blitz ever from the arms industry. It was led by a group called the Committee to Expand NATO, whose president, Bruce Jackson, happened to, by day, have a job as the vice president of Lockheed Martin. 
So it's just too it's just too lucrative for too many powerful people. So and it exists to to justify and perpetuate conflict and there's there's profit in conflict and there's there's meaning for these people in conflict. It's kind of why they get up in the morning. Um so I don't see NATO will I don't see NATO being dissolved. I do see this opening up some tensions and you know but a lot of that has to do with how domestic populations respond. So maybe if people in Germany get tired of being uh, a U.S. lackey and having thousands of U.S. troops there and being forced to face the prospect of freezing during wintertime because the U.S. wants to cut off their main gas supply. I mean, maybe that will change. But uh, NATO, I don't see as an overall alliance. I don't see it going away. Do, do, do you think uh, that the U.S. will stop Nord Stream 2 regardless of what happens uh, in Ukraine? They're, they're trying. They're trying. And they're, I think they're trying to find a pretext right now for doing so. And I think that's what so much of this is about. But uh, that will be up to Germany. And, uh, you know, there are people in Germany who want to side with the U.S. And even the foreign – actually, it's interesting. The foreign minister of Germany, who's from the Green Party – not the Green Party kind of that we know in the U.S. It's a very different kind of right. Green Party. The foreign minister has said that they will stop Nord Stream 2, but the chancellor has not. So there's a split there. And the U.S. strategy, obviously, is to try to accentuate that, that divide and hopefully the, and hoping that, the, that its side will prevail. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Rob. Hello, Rob. Cute dog. I come. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, long time listener, long time watcher of the show, uh, right from the beginning when, uh, y'all were still with Rolling Stone. Awesome. Thanks. Um, I, my question is, uh, Dennis Kucinich was mentioned earlier in conjunction with, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm just, kind of curious why in 2020 why y'all think uh kucinich endorsed tulsi rather than than sanders was it just strictly the um, the anti-war anti-regime change war thing or was there something else i don't know actually aaron do you have any idea well i don't remember that so kucinich endorsed tulsi instead of Bernie. yes wow Huh. Well, I don't know. You should ask him. Um, I, if I'm guessing, probably has to do with Tulsi being a lot more falsely, uh, forcefully against U.S. regime change wars abroad. Uh, Dennis, Dennis Kucinich got involved in Syria. He went on a delegation right. there. Tulsi, I think, was right. on that delegation, too. So maybe it stems from that. Um, whereas right. Bernie, Bernie was silent on things like that. So maybe that was a factor. But I don't know. I mean, you have to ask him. Aaron right. just- Aaron's saying that they're both Assadists, basically. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Uh, they all wanted to be co-hosts of uh, Useful Ideas. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, th- thank you. I'll, I'll let somebody else. Uh, yeah, I'm sure work. Dennis Kucinich would answer that if you uh, wrote to him. Or I, I, you know, I have to have him on. We had him on Useful Ideas. We should have him back on it, Aaron. And I need to have him on the Katie Halper show. For sure. So, yeah. Thanks, Rob. All right. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, I'll ask him. Okay, let's see. Um, Omar. Oh, sorry. No, Tom. Tom. Um, mute yourself. Then we'll get you in there, Omar. I don't know what happened. Tom, if you just hit the, the microphone icon at the bottom right of your screen. 
Yay. Well, Hi, Tom. I uh, I think the expression is Katie bar the door. Yeah. What did I say? Up, you were saying Katie at the door. Oh, yeah. Katie bar the door. Thank you. Yeah. You need to bar the door when you're being invaded. Right. So uh, I have a question for Aaron. Um, he Aaron bar the with, door. He Sorry. disagreed with the Russian uh, ambassador about whether there was military action that facilitated the annexation of Crimea. And I know there were 16,000 Russian troops stationed there, but they were there, they'd been there forever by agreement with Ukraine after it left the Soviet Union. Uh, and if there was an operation, as, as you were saying, Aaron, what was the operation? Or was it just the fact that there was military roaming around that facilitated the, the annexation? My point in saying that was simply that it wasn't just like a vote by Crimea and then Crimea went over to Russia. Basically, um, Russia used the forces that it had already there, you're right, to take Crimea. They, um, you could argue they were taking it back because, of course, Crimea was given to Ukraine when back under the Soviet Union in the 1950s. But I'm just saying is that it wasn't, I, th I think that the way the ambassador described it, I just thought was a bit simplistic, I guess. And they obviously, what allowed Russia to take Crimea was the fact that its military was there. That's my right. point, I guess. But, but we keep hearing that Russia invaded Crimea to take it. Right. Uh, and, that's, and that's wrong. And, th and, that, and that is wrong. And I don't think I said that Russia invaded. And if I did, then I was... I was wrong to say it, but yeah, no. Right, I, yeah. I was just worried that, that you're saying there was a military operation might supply mine. I got you, I understand. So I didn't word it very well then. That's all right. I love you anyway. I appreciate that. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay, John. John, unmute yourself. Hit the mic. Okay, so we can uh, try this again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what I was saying, was, and thanks for again taking the call, that uh, here's an, you know, a real life experience of all of this misinformation or whatever you want to call it. I mean, my life is in a roller coaster right now. Um, and I just wanted to mention and share my experience. I mean, I had to make a very tough decision to leave Kiev, uh, you know, for all the talk about safety these days with uh, COVID and, and all of this. I mean, the U.S. government didn't lift a finger. We were all, they said explicitly in an email to all expats, there will be no military help for you at all. And you're basically on your own to get out. Add to the fact that there's so much red tape that goes on nowadays. That's why I mentioned before I'm uh, stuck in Istanbul because I have a pet. And if I want to bring that pet into the U.S., it's going to be six weeks of CDC approval. In addition, I uh, just got over COVID, so I'm not sure I could even get on a plane. And they're telling you, basically, you have to leave now within 48 hours. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of venting here. I do have a question for you, but I'm just sharing you my experience. And I can tell you that a, a complete you know, antithesis to this is how Ukrainians are. Uh, the day I left, you could walk in a store like it's nothing. You'd never know by turning on CNN when you walked in Ukraine, it was calm. I mean, I was like a ghost leaving from all, you know, from an unhealthy dose of news. And the, the border control in Ukraine let me go. He was kind of laughing at me at how scared I looked. So it's 
my question for you would be, if you're in my situation, I'm here for a couple of weeks. Would you go back in a couple of weeks? So it's, I, I, I don't know if there's an answer, but I just wanted to share. Well, thanks for sharing, John. We can't give you advice on what to do, but your story just speaks to the consequence the, on the individual level of warmongering of, you know, the U.S. telling people to leave and we can't guarantee your safety. And your experience is one of many lives that have been impacted by this. And uh, I'm sorry this happened to you. And it just shows why, you know, um, the U.S. toys with people's lives when it does these sort of fear-mongering, war-mongering campaigns, including its own citizens in, inside Ukraine. So I'm sorry and your, to hear it. And your pets. And your pets, too. Yeah. What kind of pet do you have, John? Is she gone? Well, John, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. That's, um, you know, and uh, and keep us posted and on your plans. And if it's a dog, I definitely hope. Well, if it's whatever pet, I hope it's okay. But if it's a dog, my heart especially goes out. I'm Go gonna ahead. bring. I'm gonna bring the next caller, who is also named John, in now. And when you come in, just remember to unmute yourself by hitting yep. the microphone in the bottom right. John with an H. John with an H. Are you there? All right. Entering the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Omar, you are up. Hey, um, two of my favorite people. Thanks. Impeccable taste, Omar. <laughs> um, as well, you brought up the Iron Dome, and this is something that I think I've written to you about, Katie. Um, and uh, it also has to do with your time at um, Democracy Now, Aaron. Uh, I don't know if you were there at, in 2014, but you had a guest, uh, Theodore Postol on from MIT. Uh, and he had um, analyzed like the efficacy of the Patriot missiles. Are you guys there? I don't know if I'm- Yeah. yeah. Oh, we are here. Um, and do you remember Aaron? Of course, yeah. Uh, Ted, oh yeah, yeah. Ted, Ted Postol, eminent scientist, yeah. MIT, uh, former Pentagon official. He basically showed that the Iron Dome was a scam. Yeah, uh, exactly. In terms of in terms of actually stopping rockets, it couldn't even do that, and yeah. uh, and uh, he's been repeatedly vindicated. He made similar claims about U.S. Patriot missiles back during the Gulf War that they weren't what they were made out to be. But, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think this interview like gets enough attention. That that it. That, I mean, it's so important, and it doesn't really get enough attention from anybody, even. Max uh, Blumenthal, I remember, Katie, you had Max on and he was talking about the, the Iron Dome, but, um, you know, that didn't reference Theodore Postal. Like these missiles, uh, I mean, they call them missiles, they call them rockets, but I mean, they're, from what I've heard from people who are much more knowledgeable than me, is that they're just souped up fireworks and yeah. that they don't have, like, if you lie down, if they're coming and you lie down, you like greatly reduce the chances of getting injured by them. Uh, so even without like the shelters or anything. So Iron Dome is a complete fraud and we're giving a billion dollars of our tax money that could go to homeless people, education, health care. And I just don't understand how this isn't exposed for the fraud that it is and, and yeah, it should be. create more should of a be. scandal. It, it should be. It should be, especially when now so much of the public is now firmly on the side of 
justice in Palestine. It's, it shouldn't be difficult. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, because, I mean, it, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I feel like it's meant to right. create like this narrative where these rockets are uh, more of a threat than they are. And so you need this defense system. Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. what it's for. When really the only threat is to the people of Gaza who live in the world's largest outdoor concentration camp. I mean, that's really what it is. And that's everything is meant to distract from that. And um, that shouldn't be controversial anymore. Everyone knows it. It's just, uh, you know, the, all we can do is talk about it more. But I totally agree that uh, Postal made a very good contribution to the debate when he showed that Iron Dome is basically a scam. And that should be highlighted more. So thank you, Omar. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But Katie, oh, I thought you were going to say something about um, no, I was going to say, I mean, is that to, to justify, probably, right, to justify keep the, the continued funding of it, right? Like, you can't expose yeah. how it is, or else people would be angry about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to bring in the next caller, because I want to get to everybody okay. before we jump off, and we have limited right. time. So thank you, Omar. Nice talking Tyler, to you. Tyler, you are up. Tyler, did you figure out how to unmute? Hi, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Yeah. Great. Um, uh, like, like everyone here, big fans of you both. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. I uh, so to me, the the primary problem that we face as a you know left movement is you know obvious dishonesty in mainstream media and press. And I think both of your work on these subjects is some of the most important that's out there because you know undermining the mainstream narrative is you know very important. And I had always thought I'm a millennial. I'm 37. Um, I had always thought that, you know, my peers had grown up during the Iraq War and the Patriot Act era, and it was very clear, you know, your your mainstream press was, you know, coming out in form, in, in favor of these forms of imperialism and, uh, and, and authoritarianism in a way that was demonstrably and obviously dishonest. Everything from, you know, WMDs to... OPCW scandal to, you know, Russiagate to everything else. And it's just very, very clear how these people have a, you know, and I'm talking about all of the primary, you know, media press, but these people have a multi-decade long history of lying in favor of violent imperialism at every possible opportunity. And yet I find even, and I had always thought like, okay, the older folks in our society didn't really care about that. They kind of allowed it to happen at the time perhaps convincing them is sort of a lost cause. And, you know, the younger generation who didn't really live through the Iraq scandal and everything, maybe they're the people to kind of educate on this, to kind of move them out of the mainstream, you know, press narrative worldview. Um, And what I find recently is my generational peers seem to have forgotten the lessons of, you know, 20 and 10 years ago and uh, seem to be consuming you know, MSNBC and CNN completely uncritically and, and considering themselves even, you know, progressive and left for that, for that, you know, commitment to those narratives. And that's just. Wait, Tyler, you, you know, Tyler, you know, millennials who are consuming MSNBC and CNN. Yeah, seriously. This is, this is going to be, this is like, this is great news for MSNBC. We should send them this clip because they're going to be overjoyed because their ratings are like mostly, you know, people. Outside the demo, quote unquote, the target. Well, and demo. and and look and looking at their ratings is one thing that encourages me recently, right? But, yes. But I do I do talk to people who, 
continue to uncritically consume the mainstream narrative, even will say, oh, I don't, you know, I'll say you're, you're repeating a mainstream media talking point here. You know, this is a, a Chris Matthews point or something. And they'll go, well, I don't watch that, you know? And I'm like, well, you didn't come up with uh, support for authoritarianism and imperialism on your own, right? Like that had to be propagandized into you because you're not a terrible person. Um, so here's my, here's my primary thing is like the only thing, argument that seems to work in like you know primary like uh pmc circles uh they do they don't seem to be swayed by the evidence that the mainstream media is openly lying to them and has been for decades right they seem to come up with reasons for justifying acceptance of the of the narrative structure but but they do seem to be absolutely allergic to the idea that something is right or far right and so the only way the only way I've had any success in kind of making progress in narrative shift shift with what we on the left call shit libs um, is to say, look, you know, in embrace of authoritarianism and imperialism is a right wing concept hysterically, historically. And, you know, when when you compare the 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 narrative on imperialism of someone like. Joy Reid or Cuomo or Maddow to someone like Tucker, you know, you can you you can actually point out far further left, you know, positions among uh, people who call themselves right wing and sort of undermine and shift the narrative. And so my, my question to you is I'm shocked that that seems to work, whereas the, demonstrating obvious dishonesty doesn't. And, you know, one example I've had is, you know, a friend of mine still watches The Young Turks. And I said, how could you possibly watch The Young Turks? When live on air on their main show, they smeared Aaron Mate as a foreign asset working for Assad and Putin, when obviously, you know, the, 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 the evidence is clear. There's absolutely no justification for saying this. And the implications of such an accusation were true are actually treasonous. And like, how can you continue to tune into this program? And your friend uh, said, and your friend said, and your friend said a response, and your friend said a response, fuck Aaron Maté. That's what yeah, your friend I, said. Fuck, <laughs> fuck Aaron. No, well, here's the thing. The friend in question had literally never heard of you and was thereby unswayed by the argument. And that's a- Well, then you know what? I say fuck your friend then. That's what I yeah. say. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm and joking. fuck your friend. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, look, uh, the, um, yeah. I think it is very effective to uh, point out that the forces that the U.S. aligns with are on the right or the far right. In the case of Ukraine, it's it's obvious. I mean, look at that. We've talked about it. That media stunt that Richard Engel participated in last week was put on by a neo-Nazi militia, um, which is barred from receiving U.S. assistance by the U.S. Congress because they're so far right. And you look at Syria. And puff pieces. But yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. And you look at Syria. I mean, again. Jake Sullivan said it best when he wrote to Hillary Clinton 10 years ago this month, Al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria, another far-right <laughs> extremist militia. So that's who the U.S. traditionally props up around the world to achieve its goals. And if you can point people to that, maybe they'll be convinced. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about doing that and being strategic and meeting people where they're at. And I do that constantly with, like, uh, with Assange. I, I'm always trying to play to with with libs. I'm always trying to point out that you know Obama decided to stop 
basically going out like he wasn't good, obviously, on this issue, but he was different. You know, Trump picked it up. Obama decided not to go after Assange and that Biden is being Trumpian in his response to Assange. So I think that can be very strategic. Yeah. um, Another area of, of success I've had is pointing out that, you know, people who call themselves libs, liberals have had far right positions, such as our current president having wrote the original version of the Patriot Act and supported the Iraq war. You know, you can you can you can sit down with a with a shit lib and say, like, read the text of the Patriot Act and tell me that there's anything left about this. Right. Yeah. Um, or constitutional. And that, that's that's a, that's a point where we can make some kind of progress. But yes. The, yeah. Also, what, another what tip. I'm, also, like another tip I have is don't call them a shit lib to their face. Yeah. Right? Only you behind know. their back. If you're like, hey, shit lib, I'm going to show you this to change your mind. Right. right. It's probably not going to work. That 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 is entirely right. fair, but I guess I guess I guess my main my main my main uh, question is like why does it seem to work when you know what why does it seem to work to call someone out for having right wing positions when it doesn't work to demonstrate their obvious dishonesty? Because people have such strong, I mean, identification with certain parties and ideologies, right? And they're offended. When those things are offended, mm-hmm. those sensibilities or those identifications in a way that they're not by uh, dishonesty, sadly. And they're not. And if they're programmed to have certain sympathies, it's just you got to there's a lot more deprogramming that has to happen. Like you have to convince them that the people on the on the that the you know, that they're being lied to, which is a lot of much heavier lift. Yes, yes. There. Let's go to the next caller because we have a lot more and limited time. Thank so you, I want to get to as many people as we can. Th- so thanks, guys. Great to talk. You too. Likewise. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Gene, you are up. And I'm you. Yeah, Gene, if you're there, there's a microphone. There you go. I'm, yeah, I'm working on it. Am I here? You're yeah. here. Great. Okay. Um, I'm calling from Slovenia. Um, I am an extreme introvert and I have a massive phone phobia and my dogs will probably start barking when they hear me talking on the phone, but I just really wanted to connect with this community. So I overcame my, my fears. Well, thank you. Thank you yeah. for overcoming your, <laughs> yep. and yes, yeah. your fears. Yes, but I've been following you both for a while and particularly Aaron now, cause I'm kind of going on a Ukraine binge. Um, a couple, oh God, there's just so much to respond to, but let me just start with this. First of all, I, I share your pessimism with respect to NATO, but at the same time, I feel like we really have to address it because NATO and NATO enlargement kind of lie at the heart of this crisis and many others. And by the way, I, I called Bruce Jackson on February 5th, 2003, after they uh, uh, showcased the so-called Vilnius letter. Um, and shortly after that, I called Biden's office and sent him emails and all the rest of it. Anyway, that's another story. That's when I well, was. and just to remind people, so Bruce Jackson is the guy I mentioned before. He was the vice president of Lockheed Martin, while he was also the head of the committee to expand NATO, pouring all, millions of dollars into Congress, into congressional lobbying to expand NATO. And then Bill, uh, Bruce Jackson went on to advocate strongly for the Iraq War. He's an but- intersectionalist. Yes. Well, not yes. just for the Iraq war, Aaron. You have to remember that was that was the committee for democracy in Iraq or something like that, the liberation mm-hmm. of Iraq. But mm-hmm. oddly enough, it, it the, the the place folded up very soon after the invasion. I can't imagine why. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe because they were so successful in bringing democracy to Iraq so quickly, they okay. felt like their their job was done. Um, right. Yeah, Bruce Jackson was really active in Slovenia, um, and Slovenia of when when uh, in in lobbying for NATO enlargement, and Slovenia was one of the very few countries where there was actually a strong segment of public opinion that was opposed to NATO membership, and there was even a referendum. Uh, it just didn't have a hope in hell of winning because all of the power was on the other side. But I think it was something like 35, 40% actually voted against. And interestingly, they're just they're about to call another referendum on whether or not to buy some overpriced, crappy armored vehicles. Um, so the left here is is opposing that. But anyhow, it just seems, I mean, NATO is really why we still have a divided Europe, so much for, you know, Europe whole and free. And I was very deeply involved in that, that movement. Uh-oh. Hello? Did we lose Jean? I should still be here. Can you hear me? Okay, you're here, yeah. You were very deeply involved in that movement, you said? Yeah, I, I guess when my phone goes blank, when it goes dark, I, I, I lose the audio. Like, I'm okay. a tech folk, too, but anyhow, I'll do the best I can. Um, yeah, I was, I was involved with, um, I worked closely with E.P. Thompson and European nuclear disarmament back in the 80s, and also with the, the women who organized the March to Greenham. And I just feel like, you know, we're, we thought we'd, we thought we'd succeeded. <laughs> And here we are, and I just feel like um, so, NATO is one of one of the things that just really needs to be addressed. I mean, it, I, I agree; it's 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 very firmly entrenched. There are a lot of vested interests in keeping it going, in particular uh, the the weapons sales. Um, but that is that is the militarism that we're facing today, and that's that's what we need to do something about. Just, yep. Anyway, I, I totally. Hey, Gene, I totally agree. And it's um, it's kind of one of these unspoken things. It just presumed in the U.S. that expanding NATO, defending NATO, worshiping NATO is a just it's a it's just an embedded value that no one questions. And if you do, then you're somehow a traitor. So it's it's very difficult to confront. But when you look at the consequences and you're living through them in Slovenia, there's no other choice. It's, it's what we got to do. And hopefully, you know, this this current crisis, whatever you want to call it, we'll create the space for that. We'll see. But it's interesting because at the time it could so easily have gone the other way because there really was a debate. Yes, there was, that's right. I know. I mean, yep. I've been reading, I've been reading those, those writers and, and authors and speakers now. I didn't pay that much attention at the time. I was involved in other things, but now I'm going back and I mean, Kennan and, and Larry Wilkerson and Matlock, his presentation the other day was just incredible. Jack Matlock, um, for those who don't know, he's the former yeah. U.S. ambassador yeah. to the Soviet Union. And all of them, uh, George Kennan, you know, the I, eminent U.S. I, diplomat, yeah. warned that expanding NATO would be one of the U.S.'s biggest mistakes. Uh, and those voices right now in the establishment just don't exist. They don't. No, they don't. I feel, I mean, that was really a crossroads. And I feel like in some ways, those of us who were active in the peace movement were kind of asleep at the switch because we didn't engage at the time. Mm. And if we had, if we'd sort of kept up the pressure, things could have been very different. Mm. But yeah, anyhow, that's, that's a few of some of my thoughts here. Well, Jean, thank you for calling yeah. in and I hope you call back. Yeah. I really appreciate it. We're great. Yeah. I Let's survived. Take... I will. You survived. Yes. I like writing yes. better though. <laughs> well, thank you, Jean. Let's take two more callers. Alex, you are up. 
Hey, Katie and Aaron, this is a, you know, mainly an appreciation call. I, I appreciate both of you. Um, you know, useful idiots is like therapy Yay. for me. I'm, I, I appreciate, I mean, it's an incredible, it's actually can't miss. It's just so good. You guys use sarcasm and humor uh, to just, you know, really, and logic to rip the, um, you know, lamestream media narratives. So it's just so great. Thanks. And, Go ahead. No, I just said thanks. Can't miss TV. Yeah. Use it. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I just appreciate you guys so much. The you know, and the other thing is my a lot of my friends, my peers, as I think some a caller e- echoed earlier, is just their, uh, you know. So I'm like I'm 38, and so a lot of my friends, and I went to a lot of my friends, and myself are like I think what Bree calls like the PMC. Uh, you know, private managerial class or whatever. We're professional manager class, yeah. Yeah, we're we're doing well, I guess. I don't know. We're we're, we're like able to like make ends meet, save a little bit of money, and but I, I don't think so. If I talk to like my peers and my friends that are under thirty, uh, they don't care about Ukraine. Like they're just so like they're, and I agree with them. Like there's so many domestic issues that happen. I think there's a broad like swath of america that just does not care about this issue like they do not care and but i don't i you know and i still am like trying to question like why are they trying why why is the media and kind of the the mainstream government like trying to distract the you know broad swath of um um, registered voters on this issue it's just so it's so disappointing when there's so many issues at home that are uh, really need to be addressed. It speaks and, to the uh, power. It speaks to the power of hegemony and chauvinism in U.S. policy and U.S. priorities. It's the same question of you know. It's amazing that this is not just dominating now, but also Ukraine became an impeachment level issue when Trump paused some weapon sales to Ukraine at the same time as he was putting some pressure on Zelensky to announce an investigation into Joe Biden again. Like Ukraine became the most important issue in the country for like seven months, and every day we were hearing about how we needed to fight, uh, how we needed to send weapons to Ukraine, and if not, Russia is going to invade us. And of course, nobody cared in the public. Trump ended the impeachment with the highest ratings of his presidency, as I mentioned before. But yet Democrats still make this an issue. And part of the problem is the Democratic, this, this current administration, they're so knee-deep in Ukraine. They were behind the coup in 2014. <laughs> Victoria Nuland, Joe Biden obviously played a huge role to the point where Burisma felt the need to appoint Joe Biden's son to its board to curry favor with Biden. So it's their priority, but yes, it's not the it's not the priority of the publics at all. It's not as if there's um, uh, Americans who wake up every day wondering if we're sufficiently arming Ukraine. But it's just that's not what our political class is here to do. Our political class is not here to meet people's material needs or address their concerns. It's here to pursue the interests of the rulers of the country. And a major interest there is ensuring U.S. hegemony. And so that's why we get a crisis like this. And we're going to get many more. And I'm just becoming more dejected. Like, I'm I'm becoming, like, everybody from the, like, Justice Democrats to, to Sunrise Movement to, like, all these, like, well-meaning, well-intentioned, you know, that I'm with, that I'm so, like, passionate about and, and you know, supporting Bernie Sanders for the past two uh, presidential election cycles, I'm becoming so dejected that it's like, 
the purpose of like a lot of these democratic movements, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is like controlling a little bit of a groundswell because I just don't think the solution is within the Democratic Party anymore. So I don't know. I'm like patiently waiting on the sidelines trying to find, you know, answers to solutions to to something. And I'm hopeful, but I'm also like just super like I don't know, dejected by the whole the whole process. And that's well, it. take take comfort knowing that many people are in the same position. Yeah. Know? It's just the time we're in. But um things happen, you know, that's that's how politics happens. Is there's enough get discontent and then a something happens to change it and energies get channeled into a movement and hopefully that will happen here. There's many people who, who are in the same boat as you. So thank you, Alex, for calling in. So, okay. Last caller, Katie. Yeah. Okay. And Anna, you are up. So remember to unmute yourself. Yeah, we have another woman. (laughs) Just doing it for themselves. Hello. Hi. Hello. Uh, I would apologize for my English because I'm Ukrainian and uh, I'm joining this channel to having some questions and answers for my questions because, uh, you know, before media never was um, so so much in my life. It's like it wasn't depending like what was in the media. But now I'm married to American guy. And uh, because of US media, my life started to change. Uh, first of all, it's like uh, in U.S., it's very interesting, like, uh, question, are you liberal or are you radical? Like, you must to make a choice of uh, two positions. Like, you don't have a middle. No, it's like you must to be a Democrat or Republican. It's like, I don't understand why people must to make this choice and why it's depending so much on their life in U.S., it's the first have, question. You don't have that in, in Ukraine, like whether you're no. conservative or, or no. liberal? No, we both think something good is the con- in the conservative part. Something good is in the Democrat part. There's nothing is a perfect. No party is a perfect. We can see it right now. For example, like U.S. for us was always like a guarantee of a democracy, like an example, like how it should be. But what do we see now? It's like, President Biden now telling all the times that Russia gonna invade Ukraine. The war gonna be like 16, 20, and we live in fear every day. But in the same time, he's telling that he wouldn't send the troops because he don't want to make a war with Russia. But he would send some um, weapons, some armors for Ukrainian to help. But I'm sorry, everybody forgot that in 1994, it was a Budapest memorandum about the nuclear weapons when Ukraine decided to destroy all their nuclear weapons and U.S., Russia and France and other countries was agreed that they would protect our borders. They would help in any issue if something happens. But now, when it's happening, we're the one to face our problem. Where is the guarantee? Where is the democracy? Like, where is the guarantee of these contracts? So we couldn't believe to anyone. So our president now thinking that, like, why should we follow these contracts? If nobody is following. Nobody. Nobody wants we see Ukraine in European Union. Nobody wants it in the NATO. They want us to be a shield between Europe and Russia, and for U.S. U.S. now using us like 
a figure in a chessboard. Yes, yeah. it's oh. really great. You know, if the war is starting there between Ukraine and Russia, Russia would be bad. And okay, then for sure, it's like Nord Stream wouldn't work. So U.S. can sell their gas to the mm-hmm. Europe and from the Middle East. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's the best gift uh, Russia could give to U.S. Mm. Nobody like thinking also that like Russia and Ukraine have almost the same history. You know how many routes we have, how many mm-hmm. things we passed together. Yep. But in the same time, like nobody wants to give us a guarantee of a protection. Nobody cares about Ukrainians. Nobody cares about their lives. And nobody gives also a green light if you want to leave i have a documents like i have a green card because i'm already married like more than three years for my husband and what do you think could i easily come to us no if i have a newborn baby what is only two weeks they would leave me in the war zone they told me like we don't care if your baby don't have a document you will leave you behind Mm-hmm. Where is the democracy? Where is the guarantee? And let me ask you a question now. What do you think of the proposals just to basically keep Ukraine neutral so that it's not in anybody's camp? It's not in the Russian camp. It's not in the U.S. camp. It's just a neutral country that respects that it's a divided country with people, some people who really identify with the West and don't like Russia, but also people who speak Russian and identify with Russia. So just basically this notion of keeping Ukraine neutral, kind of like Finland. What do you think of that? It's already kind of this. But look, the Donetsk and Lugansk Park, it's always was more close to the Russia. The people who's living there, you need to understand, they all have relations with Russia. It's understandable why they want to be a part of it. Crimea, mm-hmm. it was never ours, if be honest. It's true. It was never ours. Before it was uh, belonged to Turkey, like Osmanian Empire, after it belonged uh, in Russian Empire to, to Yekaterina II, it was a gift. And only after USSR broke up, we took it to rent for 50 years. When rent was over, Russia took it back. They didn't want to continue the rent. It was their choice. You know, it's like, and it was even in our document, we're like a united country, like in our constitution. But Crimea was always separated part, even in our constitution. And everybody's forgetting it. So there was never kind of a part of Ukraine. Uh, Other parts, we have more leaning now to west part because we want to grow up first economically and our peoples are tired about the russian russians are more imperialists it's you see it's always same and same it's always putin and in belarus it's always lukashenko it's like maybe yeah they have a constitution but it's not working it's just the papers it's the same king we are tired of kings. We want a real democracy. That's why we were separated from USSR in 1990s. That's why we had so much revolutions. It's already three revolutions was about this idea. Peoples was dying in 2014 for the united with the West. And where is the West? Like, what is their answer? They're ignoring. They're just looking at us like we're maybe like uh, some third part of the world and nobody cares. Like nobody cares about our lives and how we try economically. And we and with all 
<laughs> our <laughs> desire to make it. I don't know what else we can make. It's like, you know, it seems we always knocking in the closed door and yeah. we're just tired. Well, Anna, thank you so much for sharing all that. It's yeah. really great to hear your perspective. Thank can you. I have a question of like, so what is it that you would like the United States to do? I think United States really must push more about the Russia, but more in democracy way. Need to remember the all the agreements. In base of all the agreements, they must meet all together. France, US, Germany, Russia, and make a decision. Look, we agreed like in nineteen ninety four that we're gonna protect Ukraine. Okay. We don't want to protect Ukraine anymore. What we can do for them? Okay, maybe we can invite them on NATO. Okay, Russia don't want NATO. Then let them have their nuclear weapons again. It's like if we would have a nuclear weapons again, we would be calm. Nobody would invade us. Nobody would actually killing our soldiers. It's like you you don't see. It's like you're not living in a country where the war going from 2014. And for you, it's like something was going way on the other side of the planet. But when you live like this, it's ruining your country from inside. The war is always eating us economically. Our lifestyle and life cost always growing up. It's like <laughs> it couldn't last forever. So we kind of want or union with the Europe or union with the NATO, with the NATO or nuclear weapons that's i think what is gonna solve the problem thank you okay very interesting thanks for your perspective well listen this thank was you. great thank you and thanks yeah. so much for calling in thank you and thanks to everybody who participated who listened who called in to us i'm sorry we didn't get to everybody but we'll be doing this again next week at the same time right after yeah. the live monday morning show and yeah katie let's uh yeah let's, let's, let's wrap it up so people can go if they want to sign up for useful idiots to useful idiots that's substack.com they yeah, can subscribe useful. on youtube subscribe on youtube uh that's youtube.com slash useful idiots you can also make sure you subscribe and rate and review um the podcast which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts yeah and um stay useful stay useful everybody stay idiotic stay useful stay See you next Monday and uh, see you on our regular episodes that we release on Substack, YouTube, and uh, podcasts. And tell everybody now who hasn't been able to take part in Colin because they had an Android phone that, phone that Colin is now available on Android, which makes it yeah. open to so many more people. And we're so excited about that. So please yeah. spread the word if you, uh, if you feel like it. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.